Hello and welcome to the Liminal Gallery podcast with me, the founder and director of Liminal, Louise Fitzjohn. podcast is an opportunity to speak to the contemporary artists I'm exhibiting in my Margate-based art gallery. With an exciting program of solo and group exhibitions, hosting this podcast is a fantastic way to delve deeper into the artist's practice and to probe their innermost thoughts about their exhibitions. Liminal Gallery was founded in April 2021 and works with contemporary artists currently practicing across the UK and Ireland, showing the incredibly diverse creatives that are based here. I've been working in the art world for over a decade and I'm incredibly passionate about fully supporting the artists that I work with and I spend most of my time trawling through social media to find artworks which blow my socks off. The artists I work with have an approach which I haven't seen before, a unique talent which spans across the mediums. I'm so excited to share these artists with you as we have in-depth conversations exploring the artists' lives and works into what makes them tick and what gets a ticking off. So I hope you'll join me both on this podcast and down in Margate where you can see the exhibitions of these artists in person. I'm delighted to share that the fourth guest on the Liminal Gallery podcast is with contemporary artist Jennifer Newland, who is exhibiting a painting in the four-person exhibition Matrescence, which opened in Liminal Gallery on the 5th of November. The term Matrescence is a physical, emotional, psychological, hormonal and social transition to becoming a mother. The moment I saw Newland's work, I knew she was destined to exhibit in this show. Her birth series struck a serious chord with me, as I know they will do for many other mothers and parents. The soft, playful palette and the incredible textured surfaces give way to a sensory overload, a felt moment which is beautifully captured through paint on canvas. Her paintings are both a physical and psychological state, heavily layered with emotions and symbolism. There is also a childlike cartoony aesthetic which permeates her image creating a humorous aspect that offsets the potentially disturbing elements within. By playing on the tensions between beauty and horror, humour and the object, her works give a sense of relief, relief that others have experienced this, a relief to have a visual explanation from that which cannot be explained and a much needed laugh at ourselves and the experiences we subject ourselves to. Newland graduated from City and Guilds Art School in 2021. She has been shortlisted for a variety of prizes such as the ING Discerning Eye and the Jackson's Open Painting Prize. She has also been selected for various collective shows in London and for the cover of Ake magazine, which was released in autumn 2022. Jennifer Newland, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much. That's an incredible introduction. Uh, really nice to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, so my first question, um, it's more of a statement at first, to be honest. So I quite literally feel each of your artworks, as I said in the intro, the pain, the tension, the overwhelming emotion. And you said, I'm interested in the potential of paint to embody a sensory felt experience, to encode and activate sensation. And I truly think that you achieve that. How do you approach the canvas with this in mind? Wow. Well, I mean, first of all, thank you 
so much for saying that. I think it's always very affirming for an artist when, you know, someone says that their work is operating in the way that they intended it to, you know, it, you know, it makes you feel very good. Um, in terms of how I approach the canvas with that in mind, um, all of my work starts with the memory or the recollection of the feeling or bodily experience. Uh, so these can be things like, um, you know, small everyday occurrences, like, you know, the sharp thing of cutting your finger on a, on a piece of paper or when you're feeling lightheaded or, um, you know, experiencing pins and needles in one of your limbs and that kind of electrical feeling that you get um, to um, bigger events like giving birth or breastfeeding or experiencing a moment of uh, panic or phobia. Uh, so they're almost like moments on a, a, a spectrum of intensity, um, but they're all quite vivid and intense in terms of their the recollections. So they're things that are in a way quite abstract and hard to convey in words. Um, so, you know, often when you ask people uh, about a traumatic experience or an intense experience, they don't quite know how to put words to it, because these are all sensations and things that you feel in, in, in your body. And um, so really I'm trying to find the visual language for these intangible, ineffable things. And I start off by trying to conjure them in my mind, but then I, but I, I try to feel them, to go back to that feeling, that bodily feeling of them. So it's almost a bit like acting, except for, you know, I'm going back to my experiences and these experiences are so intense that they are materially held in the body they stay with us they're sort of mapped inside and therefore they resonate materially you know with with the material paint um, as well so through form and color and paint I try and evoke these sensations so if you look at my forms they're almost like conduits for them because they are manifesting and expressing things. They drip and they contort, they bleed, they react, they expand, they deflate, and they um, sit within these internal landscapes, is sort of what I call them, where the paint also encodes um, these affects, these emotions, these sensations through mark, through texture, through sheen, through color. Uh, these things are kind of operating like different emotional notes on, on the canvas. So if we look at, you know, the painting that's in the show, Source, um, you have this form of that's engorged and very full and, uh, you know, about to burst. Um, and it's sort of suspended um, somewhere in the sky. I mean, it almost looks like a parachute. Yeah. Um, but it's very raw and it's sore. And if you look at the marks on it, they're almost like conveying these ripples of tension that, that go towards this kind of, um, you know, glowing and raw nipple at the center. Um, and the form is radiating this, seems to be emanating this, this light. Um, but when you look closely, you see that they're actually, the rays are scratched into the surface. They're not delicately painted on top so again there's an indication there of perhaps a, a subtle uh, you know violence or soreness going on and then you get this you know explosion of white paint 
which disturbs this kind of dark space underneath. And again, it's a space that's very inscrutable because the paint's purposely made to look very matte, so it doesn't reflect anything and you can't really look through it either. Uh, and again, that's an indication of the sort of um, unsettling feeling that you have when you're dealing with something so big and so unknown, you know. So yeah, all, all of these um, different symbolic and emotional registers, as you said, are, are kind of mapped in there. And I think, you know, as I always depart, you know, the way I approach the canvas is always the same. I always depart from this memory that can be quite literal, but then through formal play, it turns into something else and it, it opens up layers of meaning and, and interpretation. You know, it's, it's not just a breath, you know, ejecting milk. It, it's something hopefully bigger than that. Mm. Um, it's incredible that you're able to unlock those, um, those feelings because uh, I think that often when we, uh, especially when it's quite a traumatic or like quite a big mm. like sensation or moment, we tend to almost block it out. It's like a self-preservation thing, isn't it? Where you mm. block out those feelings and for yeah. you to be able to unlock those is incredible. I mean, when I think about like birth, someone said something about uh, contractions the other day and I was like, God, I can't even really remember them. <laughs> I can't remember that sensation at all yeah. um do you keep a diary or anything so that you're able to go back to those or is it just from through memory and you're somehow able to uncover those feelings um I, I don't actually keep a diary and I think what it is is because as I said I, I find it very hard to describe these things in words um yeah so you know it's more um you know that there are things that you just always stay with you like 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 birth and as you say you, you, you kind of shut it out um but I think it's almost easier for me to go back to it now because it's been a while since I went through that experience so I can also look at it from a distance as well you know I, I think I would find it very hard to paint something very traumatic that just happened so you know you, you have that distance but at the same time you're able to go back to the strength of those those emotions if that, if that makes sense yeah it does and uh, so you play with the tensions between beauty and horror the beautiful pastel palette alongside the reality of pain and sensation how do you couple the two contrasting aspects of your practice and do you plan before you paint okay so I guess I know I mean I, it's not planned to have these tensions if that's if that's what you're asking I guess you know human experiences complex and layered and we are full of contradictions and ambivalences when you you know when we experience something it's never just one sensation that we're feeling we're feeling a lot of things you know <laughs> um so it's it's very layered it's never one dimensional and I guess therefore it's not planned because I'm just reflecting you know those those experiences in the way they are and I think because I'm dealing of the, with themes of you know, anxiety or pain and loss and sort of physical sensations, um, they are these experiences are often coupled with moments of, you know, there's always a resolution of some sort. So the couple with moments of clarity, with moments of strength, with moments of transformation and catharsis. So there's always these, two, you know, two things going on when you think about these experiences. So. If you think about, um, you know, something like birth, it's on a spectrum, you know, from this 
extreme, extreme, excruciating moments of pain, but then also these immense moments of joy on the other side. And all your experiences are on this spectrum that's going from, you know, polar opposite. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's not planned. It's just reflective of the nature of those um, experiences. And I think for that reason, you know, the, the, the canvas gets I'm mapping on these different emotional and symbolic registers and there's different languages going on at the same time in, in the same painting. And what ends up happening is that, that there is a tension between them, which hopefully creates a kind of psychological charge, which is sort of what I'm, what I'm trying to do, what I'm, what I'm aiming for. Um, I think, you know, with paint, as I've said, it allows me to access these really intense experiences. But at the same time, when I'm painting, I'm allowed to be playful and I'm allowed to experiment. And this means that humor and childlike qualities end up coming to the surface because it is a moment of play. And I think this allows for a kind of release, like I'm dealing with heavy subject matter, but um, you know, it allows me to cope with that subject matter and to get through it. So it's a bit like, you know, when someone maybe asks you about a really difficult moment in your life and sometimes you recount it in a way that makes it a bit easier for them to also absorb it. So you're a bit lighthearted and you laugh whilst you do it. And so, it's, you know, the process is a little bit like that. And because paint for me, you know, it does bring me back to childhood play and messing about. Um, and I think that ends up creating that sort of, as you say, you know, the, the, the the rainbows, the stars, the pastel colors, the childlike elements come out. Um, and I think that also, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think that also allows the audience to not just immediately be put off by an image that can be quite visceral. It allows them to enter the work as well and access it in, in some way. And, you know, the big influences for me have been artists like Philip Guston or Dana Schatz, and they, their work has this it has this tension between something very childlike and cartoony but also subject matter that's very poignant and I think they you know similarly to them I, tr I try and use the logic of the cartoon almost to convey things and that you know in cartoons people exaggerate and distort forms and um, that really helps you to convey things that would otherwise be quite difficult to represent very realistically or, or directly. So there, you know, I, I love playing around with the elasticity of these forms, um, you know, in order to say things that otherwise would be hard to, to say. Yeah, yeah. I love what you said about when you retell a story that's kind of a bit difficult and you throw in a little joke or yeah you say it in a way that's a bit more palatable for that other person I mm. love that idea of recreating that in your work as well um so you have an experimental approach with your materials which we kind of touched on a minute ago uh, playing with mediums to achieve serendipity embracing the out of control moments to create beautiful textures tell me about this aspect of your practice yeah I mean I think this uh, my process is the the, the part of my practice that I that I thrive on that I'm excited about and mm. um, you know if you look at my paintings you wouldn't necessarily tell that there's all this mess and experimentation happening in the, in the first stages I just love 
trying out new mediums. I've spent so much money buying, <laughs> you know, things like, you know, marble dust and sand and pearlescent mediums and retarder mediums and thickeners and gloss mediums. Um, I'm always trying out, you know, new textures, ways to make new sheens, new marks. And I think it's, you know, I'm seeking my own vocabulary of paint. Um, and it's constantly sort of pushing the paint to do different things. You know, my marks may shiver on the canvas to convey the sort of electric sense of things, or there's little scratches going on, or maybe the paint is very fluid and delicate and translucent to convey something completely different, like innocence or purity. So I'm always trying to get the paint to channel the nervous system in, in a way. Um, so I, yeah, I start off being very messy and I always start off maybe on a piece of paper or, a, or an unstretched piece of canvas that I've just ripped off like a leftover. Um, and just, as I say, you know, I access that, that space and then start getting the paint to sort of work and almost the paint sort of leads the way. And as you say, all these beautiful accidents sometimes, you know, happen. And once I've done that first sort of sketchy painting, that's when the element of control comes in. So I will look at it and start thinking about it and thinking about what it's doing and you know, where I can push it, whether the formal arrangement is working. And then I go to do the next work. And sometimes I do stages because I'm trying to experiment with layers and what color can work underneath. And, um, and other times I'll just, you know, go immediately to the final piece. Um, and, and I think here you can see that element of sort of the tight formal arrangements and the control that happens. But, you know, a lot of experimentation, but before that, and because every painting is about a different sensorial experience, the paint has to act in relation to that. So it's always something different. I'm not always, you know, painting with the same marks or with the same colors or in the same way. It, it depends on the sensorial space that I'm trying to, you know put across yeah the, the experimentation is is all the time you know it's for it's for, every, it's, it's for every painting and I think for me it's always it's about finding that sweet spot you know when I when I'm happy with a painting it's because it's kept that energy of that initial sketch but at the same time it's become tight and controlled and a you know a really good composition having those two things together working which is incredibly challenging and tough yeah sometimes I get there sometimes I don't <laughs> they're two absolute opposites <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you're bringing them together it's incredible um I also think that your work has to be seen in the flesh like mm. you know it has to be seen in person because um there's only so much that you can um convey over the digital sphere like you you can't pick up all of those tiny little scratches that you've put into into the work you can't pick mm. up there's so many intricacies that are part of your work and you really do have to see them in person I think um because yes. I loved your work seeing it um digitally and then I came to your studio and oh my god so I had no idea that there was so much that had gone into it. Seeing it online, it's uh, it can be quite flat, but then you see it in person, and you see that there's so much depth to it, and that's a part of your experimentation. Yeah, that's really interesting that you say that, and I think because because they are quite 
um, you know, simple images and, and compositions. They, they have quite a direct impact online and people tend to then go, oh, that's it, move on. And you're right, it's, you know, as I was saying before, I'm encoding all these little secrets in the textures and it's something that you need to look up to and slowly, it's sort of about slow looking as well. It's not just an immediate, you know, image. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting um, that you, you sort of notice that. As you also depict fleshly, bodily parts, solo, separated and fending for themselves in this arena, which they are both victim of, but also the architect. Do you see your subjects as victims or are they victorious in that they are still standing despite what may have happened on or off the canvas? Yes, I, I think, you know, you picked up on a really good point there. I, I think I see them as both. And Again, you know, we are made up of both things. Mm. Um, you know, we are sometimes victims, sometimes we're, we feel we're invincible. And in a way, all these paintings are a little bit like self-portraits because they are about my own experiences. Um, and if you look at the, the forms, you know, the, I call them figures in the work, they are, for one, they are fragments. Uh, so they are body parts. So there is a sense of suggestion of incompleteness of something lacking uh, there. Um, and secondly, they are, as you say, quite visceral and sore. So there is a sense of kind of they're kind of abject and maybe a bit repulsive and maybe a bit abandoned there. Uh, and they are isolated within these spaces. You know, there's no one else there. There's not, you know, a second form. There's not a relationship with, with anything or anyone. Um, but they are also reacting and expressing themselves and resilient. And in a way, therefore, that makes them empowered. And I think what's interesting is they're always very central in the composition, which means that they're confrontational as well. You know, the viewer has to interact with with the figure you know they're not hiding in the corner so there is this sense of definitely of empowerment if you you know if you take source as an example you know the figure is raw and sore um and this violent eruption is puncturing this landscape but at the same time perhaps there's also a sense of freedom of expression and catharsis going on you know, it's a moment of pure relief mm. you know so yeah I think there's definitely both things both things are kind of going on um, there mm. um, there's this book I'm reading it's called um, Everybody a book about freedom it's very good by, by Olivia Lang and there's a little the other day there's a little quote I mean I might just read it out because yeah, it's quite it sort of summarizes what I've been saying it says um our bodies are full of power, and for, furthermore, their power is not despite, but because of their manifest vulnerabilities. So, yeah, I really like that. I think it sort of really relates to my my figures. Perfectly um, relates to them. Yeah. They are going through these events on your canvases, but they're central, and most of them are still kind of upright. Yeah. Unless it's like sacrifice and they're a bit, a bit more deflated. <laughs> we can come on to that one. <laughs> so uh, your recent series of works are the stuff that a lot of people are squeamish about, such as fluids, wounds, birth. Why do you use your artworks to discuss these often taboo subjects? 
Um, I mean, it's not like a conscious choice, <laughs> but um, I think my work uh, changed a lot uh, during my master's. It, it didn't used to be necessarily that. Um, really? Um, yeah. Um, and I think it's, I, I became really interested in the challenge of, you know, representing these sensations, this felt experience, and that naturally implicates the body um, but also if I think back to you know what the art that I'm drawn to you know I've always been drawn to art that puts you in a slightly uncomfortable place I remember seeing Goya's Saturn devouring his son painting yeah. and just being completely in awe and this feeling of complete you're completely drawn to it and fascinated by it but at the same time you're completely repelled and it's it's almost like a shock and you feel it you feel it in your body and I just I think from then on I realized you know I'd love I want to think paintings that, that give people a make them have a physical reaction as well and all the way to you know more contemporary painters like Francis Bacon who deals with the turmoil figure and he's got this way of evoking our kind of fleshiness and the visceral forces within us he's almost like turning the figure inside out and yeah I think there's something about that kind of art that puts you in this uncomfortable place that I think makes you feel alive in a way and makes you question what it is what it means to be a human being um most people yes they, they don't not everyone wants to confront taboo subjects because it makes them feel uncomfortable but I think the point for me is to shake things up a little bit and to make people question things and maybe to put them in an uncomfortable place because that's how we learn and grow um so yeah even though as well my figures don't necessarily uh, you know they are very visceral you know some might say maybe they're a bit repulsive but at the same time I'm hoping that they're not just one-dimensional and that people can see also the fragility and the vulnerability in them and maybe connect with that and maybe also see the beauty in that as well yeah absolutely I think so like you say there's a real oh, vulnerability about them they're going through this like experience that you have also experienced maybe you haven't experienced all of them but you can understand what they're going through but also feel sorry for them and hope yes. that it's going to pass yeah. soon <laughs> um, I, I think that one piece that a lot of people will relate to is your pins and needles piece which you spoke about earlier and putting that into a visual language it's perfect it's exactly oh thank that. you and also one of my friends she um when we were at school she stood on her foot when she had really awful pins and needles it her foot had gone numb and someone told her to walk it off so she got up and tried to walk it off and she fell over and yeah. wore a ligament like really bad oh my god she was on crutches for like months <laughs> oh no and so I'm like I'm actually terrified of having pins and needles in my feet ever since and I saw that piece and I was like, yes, that is it. That, that's exactly it. That kind of, this uh, foot is just almost static. You know, there's no solid mm. lines of the foot. You can see the paint where it's yeah. like coming out in 
lines really quite aggressive angry lines and you've got that electricity that you feel but also for me that terrified feeling of being like I can't possibly move I've got pins and needles yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean it's when your body's kind of out of control isn't yeah. it? And you can't control it you know you're you're at the you're at the hands of your own body really so um yeah it's 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 interesting but yeah thank you for saying that <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> doing what it's meant to do yeah it's amazing how you could put like you know your own experiences onto your paintings and you can totally sympathize with mm. these poor little isolated limbs <laughs> so scale also seems to play an important part in your practice I have said before that I'm always really impressed by an artist who is able to work on both a large and a small scale without affecting the sense of movement in a piece and this is definitely something that you're able to do how do you decide on the scale of your works and do you have any limitations um no I mean again it's not it's something that sort of depends on uh you know the 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 emotional space I'm trying to convey so if I'm if it's an experience very intense I'm tempted to go very big and bold um if it's a smaller kind of less experience of less intensity I'm tempted to go smaller sometimes I do you know as I said I do these preparatory works on paper and they tend to be quite small and I thought if I think it works quite well on that size um you know, I'll, I'll stick with something that's around that size. Um, and otherwise I will, otherwise I will go, well, no, this isn't working. It needs to be um, a lot bigger. But yeah, it sort of depends on what I'm trying to put across. And I don't think I've got any two canvases that are the same size in my studio. Um, and I, I think, you know, shape is something I'm thinking about as well that I'd be interested in, in exploring a bit more. Recently, I did this canvas that looked a bit like an altarpiece, which I think was very interesting. So it's something I want to think about. But yeah, I think, you know, size can really affect the atmosphere of the piece. So if you look at Sacrifice, it's, it's a much smaller little piece. And I think that gives a sort of fragility and tenderness to the figure, which you wouldn't feel if it was like you know, this big, mm. big figure, um, you know, much bigger size. So, yeah, I, I like to alternate because, as I say, you know, I'm very experimental. I'm always just trying all, all sorts of different things, different sizes, different mediums. Um, yeah. I don't have, you know, a preference. You can go definitely a bit wilder on bigger canvases. And it's very hard when you do something small and then you need to make those marks work on a bigger scale. That's actually very challenging and sometimes it doesn't work. So that's something I need to be quite careful about as well. You mentioned that you made like an altar piece size canvas. What did you do on there? What's it for? When can I see it? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. It's well, it's a, it's not an altar piece size. It's an altar piece shape, but I would like to make it a lot bigger. Right. But it's actually called um, Sacrifices One as well. It's the first one I made. Right. And I made it that way because um, I was trying to reference the crucifixion. So there was a kind of meaning behind it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I want to think about the meaning of the size and the shape a lot more. It's not yeah. something I've thought about as much um, in my practice. Yeah, that's really interesting. I love that. I would love to see you playing around with like the shape. Yeah, the shape sounds, mm. I mean, that would just work with your work so well. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. I'm excited to see it. 
Um, so when I visited your studio, we spoke about your background. You're Dutch by nationality. Mm-hmm. You lived in Italy and moved to London. Do you think this displacement feeds into your work and ideas? So that's you know, that's a really good question and not one that I've actually thought about before in that I have thought about, <laughs> you know, the fact that I feel displaced, but I haven't thought about how that relates to my work at all. I don't know why, but actually it makes a lot of sense because these figures are in a state of, they're kind of alienated and a bit rootless and in a state of not belonging. So I think these ideas are definitely in the work and I haven't really quite figured that out. And I think there's a sense of, when you feel that you don't have one nationality or one permanent home, that you're always, you've got this fluid identity, you're always trying to adapt to the place and the society that you're in at that point in time. So you become very malleable. And in a way, these figures are very malleable as well. Sometimes they're in the state of between being fluid and solid you know a bit like in in sacrifice too that the figure is a bit you know you don't know if it's fluid or 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 solid it's some somewhat in that same state so I think it's quite interesting and it's something I definitely need to think about more and if you think about also the theme of this uh, show um, you know motherhood is also something that is displacing you go from being an individual to being two people in one body you know a vessel essentially Mm. a carrier to then completely shifting your identity into being a mother you know in a very short space of time so yeah you know there's a lot of displacement there as well (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) so uh talking about (laughs) that leads me on very nicely to my next question Uh, so for me your birth series gives a visual to the life of a mother the physical changes the overwhelming sense Mm -hmm. of both awe and horror our body creates life but at such a cost which takes years to settle and never return the same it is worthy of celebration but is also of the utmost care mm-hmm. it can be hard to verbalize but I think your works do that do you feel the same yeah I mean it, you know that sort of encapsulates pretty much everything <laughs> but um yeah it's it, it's you know th- this series and you know it's one of the series that that I'm, I'm working on is definitely about the the physical and psychological transformations that happen um, during motherhood and it's trying to highlight the fact that you know that the body is becoming a site of production and kind of metamorphosis and pain and creation there is a lot of pain in creation you know if you look at an artwork there's a lot of frustration and pain that goes into making that and there you know similarly that's the same with any type of creation there's always a sense of real challenge and difficulty but also a sense of real reward and fulfillment as well um so it's trying to put those two things across and i think in art birth has always been about purity and love and the Virgin Mary and I just think you know nowadays luckily things are changing and people are highlighting well the the perhaps not so nice sides um, and the darker sides of the 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 experience and you know women go through all sorts of things like psychosis postnatal depression um, 
you know, it, it's not all purity and, and love and innocence. So that's what the work tries to highlight as well. And I use the, usually the breast as a form, but in some images also the bump as metaphors for, for this experience. And these figures embody, uh, you know, these states of being. Um, and they embody the pain, but also the, the magic that, that, that is in it. So if you look at something like, um, if, if we look, take Sacrifice um, 2, which is, which is in the show, um, you know, here the figure is, upside down and deflated and almost like it's like hanging out to dry and you I was trying to foreground this sense of when the body completely transforms and it's completely drained and exhausted but it's still doing something you know it's, it's dripping and there's this glowing reaction in the nipple um, which is you know, if you, when you look closely, you see the sort of a nail pinned there, which suggests an excruciating amount of pain in that area. And it's set within this nocturnal space. And I think that is also quite an interesting space, you know, for mothers, because we have to wake up every two or three hours and experience the night in a completely different way. And you're always you know, at the beginning in, in the state between dream and reality. And so you're almost hallucinating, you know, you've got this sleep deprived psyche. The night is something that sort of, you know, in, in quite a few of these birth paintings as, as well, and that sort of nocturnal, mm-hmm. slightly insomniac experience. Um, and then the painting is called Sacrifice. But the reason it's called Sacrifice is because of all the sacrifices you know bodily sacrifices and psychological sacrifices that women have to make um but it also it references the the crucifixion in terms of its formal arrangement so it's got this um you know horizontal rope like thing um and this figure is vertically hanging on this um so yeah, it's, it's a reference to that. And I think it's quite interesting to think about you know, a female female crucifixion instead of a, a, of a male one. Um, but, you know, despite all the sort of darkness that's going on in the painting, there's this halo of light, which again is suggestive of something in miraculous. So it's almost like a crown around the figure. But then when you look closely, you see that they're actually little shards of paint um so there's a suggestion something a bit unsettling there as well um and yeah that's how the sort of the, the, the painting is is operating in, in a way to to talk about that experience as we said is is so um layered and you know you're dealing with these very polar opposite emotions all the time yeah I love what you said about the nocturnal time often as a mother you feel like you're the only person that could possibly be awake at this time and that was actually one of the best pieces of advice I received when I was pregnant I was speaking to a friend in America and she said how isolating it can feel when you're up in the middle of the night by yourself feeding just thinking there there couldn't possibly be anyone else awake and she said she's in Texas and she was like 
just text me because the time difference like I'll definitely be awake (laughs) I said that's what I would do in the in the night while I was feeding and felt like it was never going to come to an end and I was never (laughs) going to be able to lay back down and go back to sleep the life of a mother can feel so isolating it's kind of nice to have your yeah community around you and you know even if they're on the other side of the world actually that kind of works even better (laughs) yeah no absolutely and I think you know social media obviously helps a lot with that as well because you can yeah connect a lot more easily with people even you know anyone who's awake at night (laughs) will be there so yeah exactly and uh I also really liked what you were saying earlier about especially birth having this kind of that it's all beautiful and magical and clean and and the people that are sharing the reality I think that's just so important because otherwise it can feel so isolating because you think god I gave birth in this way and no one else has ever experienced it because everyone told me that it should be this other way and I don't think that that really helps psychologically I don't think it helps any new mother by saying Mm. that it's all roses because it has to be that reality because it's scary and brutal and just you don't know what's going to happen but also there's a magical side of it as well but I think it's so important to share the actual reality because otherwise you're just isolating those people and making them feel like they've done something wrong yeah so I think yeah, stories absolutely. like yours are you know are really important yeah I think it's important to raise aware. I mean you know mm. people people say things like oh you know what's the big deal women have been doing this forever and everyone does this and it's kind of like hold on a minute you're creating a human being yeah. here you know it's possibly the most important thing that one can do <laughs> you know it's sort of you know it's a miracle essentially I know it happens every day but still you know it's a really big thing and people need to understand what it's like and every experience is completely different yeah um you know and if you're told that it has to be one way of course you feel inadequate with you know if it's not going the same way for you um so yeah it's incredibly important to talk about it and raise awareness and for people to be understanding of it as well so as this exhibition is about matricense uh the becoming of a mother tell me about your transition into motherhood um how did you find it and were you supported mm-hmm. how old are your kids now and does it ever get any easier coming from a mother of a one-year-old I definitely need some reassurance please <laughs> <laughs> oh it definitely gets easier don't worry it definitely gets easier I mean um you know I found the experience incredibly rewarding but also incredibly challenging and I was I was very lucky because I was one of these pregnant mums that just like thrived on pregnancy and felt really energetic and wow. wasn't very ill at all and I was like yay I'm invincible I can do this you know <laughs> yeah um and then you're kind of I think because of that I didn't really do my homework and inform myself very much I didn't really go to all my antenatal classes I didn't do anything like you know nowadays you have a lot women are a lot more and more aware of these things and they opt for natural birth they go through hypnobirthing and yoga and all these things to help them which is great but I didn't do any of that I was completely unaware um and I thought oh it's fine I can just do this and I literally worked all the way up to you know two weeks before I, I gave birth 
um, and went on a 12 hour drive home to my, my, um, where my parents were living because I wanted my grandmother who can't fly to be able to, to see, uh, you know, my first, my first child. Oh, beautiful. And of course that kind of 13 hour drive, just, <laughs> you know, um, uh, made sure that I gave birth sort of the following day. Wow. Um, but yeah, I know. And, 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 you know, then, so it was this amazing experience and all of a sudden I'm plunged into this darkness and then, you know, uh, my births were quite complicated. I had an emergency cesarean the first time around. I had mm-hmm. troubles with sort of, um, you know, my son was a bit lactose intolerant the second time around. So there are, there are always things, you know, there are always complications and different things that, that you have to deal with. And not, as you said, you know, nothing really prepares you for it. And people, you know, at that point weren't really talking about it very much. Mm-hmm. And there was all this pressure that society puts on you as well. Uh, you know, I remember it was the kind of breastfeeding is best campaign at the time. And there were, oh. you know, I had some friends who just couldn't do it and felt yeah. completely guilty because of it. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, things things sort of need to change. But kids, uh, you know, my kids are older now. They're much more independent. And there comes a time where I promise you, you wake up. You can wake up whenever you like because they've woken up and gone to make their own breakfast. Oh, <laughs> you know? God. Um, so, you know, it's good. But, at, you know, you, you end up being able to carve a lot more time for yourself. You gain back that sort of me time. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, kids always inhabit this emotional space within you and I think that's a beautiful thing because that's you know that's what unconditional love is and mm. it, it's an incredible feeling um, has being artist mother mm. uh, been a challenge for you in the art world and how did you find studying at City and Guilds Art School were they flexible enough to incorporate your family time if I start off with City and Guilds yeah they, they were definitely super uh, flexible and I think the especially the tutors there are incredible they're super generous with their time um with their advice uh, the pastoral care is great it's a very nurturing kind of college and environment uh but I think I was very lucky because I don't think um you know there are a lot of art, art colleges that still are not like that I mean I had to also deal with COVID through my degree so I had that thing of my son was in primary school and having to homeschool him through doing my degree. So that was obviously quite uh, tough because you're doing, dealing with two things that are affecting yeah. uh, you know, your, your MA. But they allowed people to defer if they wanted to and defer by a year. I didn't really do that, but they, they allowed people to have extensions as well. Amazing. Um, so that was really good. But I think being a mom in the art world is a challenge because you know whether you're a curator as well or an artist it doesn't really matter you don't really get things like maternity leave or paid daycare you don't get any of that stuff um so that's you know and that's the reason I did my MA later on and after my children had grown up if not I could you know could have maybe done that done it beforehand and I think also artist mothers aren't always taken very seriously in the art world. I think that's changing a little bit. There's a whole book I was reading a few weeks ago by um, Hetty Judah, which is called uh, How Not to Exclude Artist Mothers. 
and uh, and other parents and um you know she talks about still all the the stigma and the inequalities that go on and how some galleries just don't take on any artists mothers and how it's also very hard for artists curators that that, that are mothers um and there's also something about the subject matter you know when your work is dealing with that subject matter if sometimes it can be problematic because people think oh it's too niche or it's not important or you know men aren't going to relate to this um <laughs> and, and luckily nowadays things are changing because you've got artists like Caroline Walker which makes this beautiful series uh you know looking at instances of birth and incredibly beautiful paintings about the everyday challenges and moments of, of motherhood uh, and artists like Noe Hollowell who's exploring all the sort of sensory aspects of that uh, and again she uses sort of the breath as a form in, in all of her work and Tala Madani with her series on kind of shit mums which is slightly <laughs> slightly different but you know they're all dealing with the with the subject matter, which is great because it's bringing it to the fore and it's raising awareness. Yeah, yeah. I think that art should be a forum where you explore everything. Who says that yeah. only one point of view is valid or important? Just because it hasn't been done doesn't mean that now it shouldn't be. Because <laughs> I think it's really important. You know, people need to relate to things, and like we were saying before, people need to see their own experiences you know reflected because otherwise you have to have equal representation and people want to see what they've experienced reflected in art in museums in collections and I think it's just as important I'm reading the Hetty Jeter um, book at the moment and it's just so fantastic it's so good and it was so desperately needed someone so needed to put that book together I'm just jealous I didn't do it damn it (laughs) (laughs) well you can do another one you know there needs to be more (laughs) (laughs) that's true that's true no she just did such a fantastic job it's such a brilliant book so um if anyone's listening and haven't read it then I really recommend it yeah and she did this really good talk as well where she invited artists mothers to talk about their experiences Mm. I think it was at TJ Bolting I don't I'm not sure but it was put online as well which enabled people to access it and mums to access it they couldn't go all the way to central London you know that's something to think about as well you know Mm. there's a lot of negatives online but also not a lot of positives because it allows for the flexibility and for people who can't get to things to to be able to use them as well so um, yeah no it's a great 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 initiative yeah and as you well know I take my little son everywhere with me I brought him to your studio and he was (laughs) definitely trying to get into your oil paints (laughs) (laughs) I took him to freeze and honestly you think of freeze as being the forefront of contemporary art there's some really challenging controversial works there and mm. my son wanted feeding and breastfeeding so I just got him out of the buggy and was still walking around looking at the artwork while feeding him and honestly he would have thought that I was doing something insane <laughs> I had so many people really double taking at me we think of the art world as being a very liberal at the forefront of now and then you go somewhere like freeze which is contemporary mm. art fair and you just get the most bigoted <laughs> responses 
it's just ridiculous yeah. you can be you know I'm a curator I'm a gallery owner I can also be a mother and have a child and bring my child because yeah. I think it's a beautiful thing <laughs> bringing him to all these art fairs meeting artists yeah he loves it and every child will have a moment where they're crying or need feeding or whatever in the same way that we as adults there's people shouting saying hello to their friends that were across the other side of the fair Mm -hmm. there's humans there making more noise than this child like what is where's the problem yeah so I do think that art world still has a massive way to go in accepting children and mothers. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I completely agree. You know, I've, I've had those experiences so many times. Um, it's it's just not um, it's not right because it also makes you feel, you know, like people are looking down on you when you're doing something totally normal. You know, and it, you know, Judah talks about you know the way that when someone sees that oh you, you're an artist oh, but you have a child they think you know automatically you're just a mum your, your mind disappeared like what you think doesn't doesn't matter you can't possibly have ideas or be creative but where does that you know come from um <laughs> you know yeah and I also find it really sad um I am working on a project with artist mums which I probably shouldn't talk about just yet because it hasn't been announced but I am working on this project so I um, have been keeping a folder or like a a record a file (laughs) it's not really a file I feel like I'm a detective or something but I've been finding artist mums to work with on this project and you are also going to be in this project very excited and (laughs) and and yeah so I have been I mean, I've been looking for artist mums for a while and keeping note of um, of the artists that I find, that I enjoy their works. But a lot of artists will not admit that they're a mum because of the, um, the stigma that's attached mm. to being an artist mum. So there's some artists that I'm like, are they are they a parent? I'm not sure, I don't know. But you can't really approach them and say, hey, mm. and I think that, that comes from this whole thing of having a gap on your CV and being like, oh, why have you got that gap there? And, oh, well, you're a mum, so therefore I can't work with you. Mm. And, and they're trying to kind of remove that entirely. They fill up the gaps in their CV or they just, they don't kind of mention the fact that they took a break or maybe they tried to line everything up so it didn't appear like they had a break. And then they don't put anything on their social media or, and it's like the removal of all of that. And, it's kind of sad that, that mums are doing that, that they're just mm. moving over that side of their their lives. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, it's something that happens not just in the art world. Mm. Some countries, you know, here things have you know, changed and improved. But, you know, I was quite worried when I went, when I was working to tell my boss, so oh, by the way, I'm, I'm pregnant <laughs> because I was the first person who wasn't one of the two co-owners of the company to have to have a child. Um, and because it was a very young company um, and you had to travel a lot and, and all that, I just thought, hmm. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, I just sort of felt felt nervous saying it. And you sh- one shouldn't feel like it's something you need to hold back on or hide. The whole thing is, is very strange and it needs to change because we need to find ways of getting art and motherhood to, to sort of work together and and to 
you know, I feel, if anything, that it's really enriched my work and my practice having had that experience, you know. So there's always things that you can learn and, and grow from. Um, and, you know, sometimes having your, you know, sometimes I ask my children what they think about my work and they come up with really interesting ideas that I hadn't even possibly imagined so they can they can contribute to you know they can contribute to things and they can mess around in your studio when you're when you're doing your work and sometimes they'll make a better work than you do <laughs> 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 something more interesting you know um so yeah I think I think yeah we need to get past this whole point of kind of hiding the fact that we are artist mothers and and kind of embrace it yeah I agree so what do you enjoy most about your practice? I, mean, I think I've probably already said it, but just playing around with paint and having those moments where you feel like in, you're in a kind of state of trance and just time just flies by and you're in this zone where you're not, you're actually not thinking, your brain isn't really working, you're completely in tune with the your materials, you know, when you're they're leading you know the paint is leading you you're pushing it at the same time and identifying you know what, what's the great thing that it's doing and then you and you're working together it's almost like when a when a relationship is perfect and you've got that spark and you're completely in tune you know it's 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 that moment with the paint and I think people say things like they've said so many times oh painting is dead or everything's been done in paint and I just think no, you know, there's always things to to discover. There's always new textures, new marks that you can make, new ways of combining these languages. So many possibilities, and that's what really excites me. You know, so, yeah. What do you find the most frustrating about your practice? I mean, <laughs> an artist's life is full of frustrations. You know, you're you're constantly questioning what you're doing and your work. But I think. On a practical level, I would say um, space and time. You know, London is very is a wonderful place to be in because the shows and all the art and the creative people that live here. But it's uh, it's very expensive, and finding a studio, you know, being able to support yourself and have the studio is is really challenging and you know I'd love to have a space that's 10 times the size of mine but that's not possible and also time-wise I guess you know having the time to do the work because an artist's life isn't just painting and being in the studio painting it's made up of lots of other things you know uh, whether it's reading networking uh, attending shows applying for residencies and open calls you need to find the time to do all these other things as well so yeah, I think I get sort of frustrated with that a little bit sometimes. <laughs> That's all of my questions. So Jennifer Newland, thank you so much for joining me today on the Limador Gallery podcast. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for, um, you know, I'm very honoured to be in the show among such incredible artists as well and in such a quirky, lovely space. <laughs> thank you. So yeah, and I just absolutely love the the title and obviously the theme of the show as well Um, yeah thank you for having me honestly a pleasure thank you Jennifer Newland's work is part of the group exhibition Matricense which is the second show in Liminal Gallery's new home at 34 Fort Hill in Margate 
The exhibition continues until the 27th of November and we're open Thursdays 11 till 4, Saturdays 11 till 3 and outside of these times by appointment. More information can be found on our website liminal-gallery.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Liminal Gallery podcast with me, Louise Fitzjohn. And I hope you'll join me for the next episode featuring Lindsay Jean McLean, who will be having a solo exhibition entitled Oversized Chains, Swords and Gloves. Bye for now.